This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. From Studio A inside the Rick L. and Vicki L. James University Center, this is Trine Line. Hello, I'm James Tu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and this is the Trine Line Podcast. Trine University President Dr. Earl D. Brooks II will discuss some of the latest happenings at Trine University and issues in higher education. Thank you, Dr. Brooks, for joining me today. Hello, James. Always good to be with you, and thank you uh, for the invitation. Well, we completed the spring semester a little over a month ago now uh, with many student activities taking place and the COVID-19 infection rate staying below 1% for pretty much all of the 16-week semester. How do you feel about how the spring semester and the school year as a whole went? Well, very satisfying. I've said this a number of times. Our our uh, people really inspire me. When I mean that, I mean our, our faculty, uh, our staff, our students for the level of responsibility, protection, safety that they exercised uh, throughout the spring. For the lessons that we learned uh, during the fall that we're able to make the adjustments at mid-year and come back and I think uh, be even better prepared uh, to deal with the pandemic as it uh, tailed off during during the spring. But I think a lot of determination, grit, persistence on everybody's part, a, a great commitment to a, a plan that I feel like was very well uh, executed. I think we did it the right way, the safe way. As I said, we learned a lot in the fall that we're able to adjust on in, in, in the spring. And at the same time, to say it was not without some pain, uh, a lot of uh, stress and emotion and challenges that went along with it. But at the same time, I think Uh, very rewarding for all of us that we're able to provide a level of satisfaction and quality education and athletic experience and residential experience to our students. And while somewhat limited from what normal operations are, I think that we were able to provide a a significant part of the full uh, college experience to our students this year. Now you mentioned, you know, the the buy-in from the campus community. Um, what other factors do you think allowed us to make it through the year successfully? Uh, well, I, you know, I think as we got into the mid-year piece, certainly uh, the advancement of the COVID vaccination, uh, our ability to actually host some clinics on campus for students to be able to work with some of our local partners, such as uh, Walmart, Walgreens, um, Myers all stepped up to provide, you know, uh, extra doses of vaccine as they became available to help move that along. You know, I have to give a lot of a lot of credit to everybody, but particularly have to give a lot of credit to our students uh, because they demonstrated uh, how badly they wanted to be here by demonstrating the right behavior it took of masking up, of distancing, of doing all the right things of been willing to operate in a hybrid format in the classroom of seated today, online tomorrow, and all the complications that uh, went went along with that. But really just a lot of credit to our people, a lot of uh, credit to the knowledge we gained as we went through the process. And then certainly with the rollout of the vaccine, the increased accelerated testing we had to do in the spring of our athletes, I think gave us uh, uh, a greater read on our student uh, body and population overall. A great job by uh, our health center 
this year who face some enormous challenges of seeing students, treating students, testing students, working with us in terms of isolation, quarantine of what we need to do to, to keep everyone uh, safe in, in the process. So when you look back at it, it's really a total uh, institutional effort because there's probably not a single component of our campus that wasn't involved in developing the plan and helping us execute it and lead to the level of success that we were able to enjoy. After we had to cancel commencement last year, uh, we were able to come back and not only have the ceremony this year, but we invited members of the class of, of 2020 to participate. And I know there was a number, number of those who did come back for that. How did it feel to be able to have the ceremony and be able to uh, invite the class back that wasn't able to have their ceremony last year. Yeah, very, very satisfying, very gratifying, very rewarding for our students who had so much taken from them. Uh, going back even to the class of 2020, when you look at all of the student athletes, for example, that lost their entire spring season uh, from going to that period from March to May of going totally online here in class on a Friday, the next Monday, everything shifts to remote learning, to looking at the experience better than that for the class of 21 who was here in a hybrid format, but just the ability to offer for them to come back, to recognize them for their achievements, to allow their families to be uh, present. And while there were limitations uh, to our commencement, we allowed each uh, graduate participant from the class of 20 and 21 to, to have at least two guest presence and distance, mask up, still do the responsible things we we need to do. Uh, and, it, and as most folks realize and recognize, it's, I think, one of the most important, if not the most significant event for the year. It's the cum culmination of one's studies and career here and uh, to watch students come in here as 18-year-olds and what transpires over that three or four years as they move on into career placement. I always say this each year at commencement, it's a joyous yet a solemn occasion, and this year particularly I think it was much more joyous than normal just because we're able to get back and, and get back to uh, those things which we need to do so that our students and families can enjoy the full university experience. Looking back at the year, we had several of our athletic teams that had very successful seasons. Uh, we had men's basketball that was undefeated in the regular season in the conference tournament. Uh, men's golf went to the national uh, competition. Both track, I think men's and women's track and field had national competitors. And even uh, cheer and dance placed nationally. What do you think is contributing to the growing success of our Thunder athletic programs? Well, I think we made a commitment early on while we knew it would be limited. We wanted our student athletes to have some sort of experience. For a lot of uh, our students, as you know, we have nearly 1,200 student athletes on our campus that participate either in varsity or club-level sports. So it's a very important component for us. So allow, to allow them to be able to practice uh, to have limited competition by within our conference or outside our conference uh, was important to them. We needed to, at the same time, be prepared to delegate the resources we needed to make that happen, testing and all the safety protocol uh, that we needed to do, right along with all the things we need to do in the classroom to keep everybody safe. And then just uh, 
really outstanding commitment by uh, an outstanding coaching staff that done a really nice job to work through the COVID issues while also providing a quality experience for uh, our, our student athletes. We got to a point, I think, in the spring where we are administering 900 tests per week to our student athletes to make sure everyone was safe and to follow a proper protocol. But then when you look back and you, you have some really great experiences for our students, I think we played, I don't know, uh, in the fall two or three football games. I think there are only six played total in Division Three. and when you think we played two or three of those, uh, you know, that's significant. Not only did we – it's not just about playing and participating, but I think we did it very safely and we did it the right way. Then you – then you mentioned our men's basketball team makes an incredible run and goes undefeated in our conference. Coach Miller picks up his 150, 50th win, was named uh, National Coach of the Year by one group, regional coach, uh, uh, All-American players. What, you know, what a great accomplishment. What a great run again by our women's program. You know, runner-up to, to uh, Hope, who was the number one team in the nation, our track program and then we wound up with a national champion this year you know mm -hmm. 400 meter in track our our golf program and then how proud i am of our of our cheer and our dance programs you know quality uh, uh coach shay chambers done a wonderful job with those uh two programs and couldn't be prouder of what those young ladies ac accomplished in national competition so it's not just about what we did here but what we did on the conference, regional, and national stage with athletics, and I think still did it the right way and provided uh, that that student experience we were able to provide that a lot of other institutions weren't able to. Even kind of looking past the just getting through COVID, I mean, even before COVID, we, we obviously had a lot of athletic success. Sure. Uh, what are the factors, do you think, that are contributing just to kind of overall trying university sports success i mean even looking back like women's yeah, basketball. i think we built a really good good brand I, and i and i really believe this and i think if you if you go back and you start surveying and you're looking at, at at our our success we're really a top 20 15 top 10 program in the country i mean you know there's 400 and some ncaa division three uh institutions and i and i and i say this with all all truth i think we've got an outstanding group of coaches doing an outstanding job. Uh, I think we've dedicated ourselves in, in fundraising and commitment as an institution to NCAA Division Three athletics. As you know, we made significant investment in all of our facilities. You know, if I go back and look at Jannon Field and Parkview softball field, Weaver soccer field, I look at the new uh, MTI center, what it does for us. We talk about Thunder Ice Arena. So certainly I think providing facilities. But then I think – uh, you have to go back to recruiting. When you talk about one of the successes of athletics this past year, if I go back and I look in the midst of COVID, the job that our coaches did during those periods in March, April, and May when basically the lights were turned off and the doors were closed here, our coaches kept working. They kept they kept recruiting and building those rosters and teams to allow us that level of success. But I think we've developed a really outstanding brand as an NCAA to uh, three institution. And it goes much deeper than athletics. It's about also the overall quality experience that a student athlete experiences here from going from uh, the depth and quality of our academic programs to the residential uh, experience to the cafeteria to all the amenities we provide to go along with that. 
I think has made us a very, very uh, attractive institution for not only student athletes, but students overall. But as we all know, we, we place a high value on NCAA uh, Division three, and I think it's been an excellent fit for Trine University. Now, on the academic side, uh, we had our NASA rover team uh, that won a national award for the second straight year. We, uh, our American Society of Civil Engineers chapter was once again named one of the 5%, top 5% chapters in the country. What does it say about our engineering programs that, that those type of groups can perform this way at a national level? Well, I level? think just like we talk about athletics, James, the the importance of uh, those academic achievements is uh, equally or even more paramount because at the end of the day, as much as we would like, not a lot of these these students' athletic careers end here. The career they pick up academically is for for life for their career, and I just I just think that uh, a lot of credit goes to uh, our faculty, who I think do an outstanding job of. Uh, preparing our students in the classrooms and labs and for these competitions. A lot of credit goes to our students who uh, we recruit good students who, who come in. They take advantage of that opportunity to learn. But I just think we're really first class and top tier. And whether you're talking about the NASA uh, award or, or civil engineering this year, a lot of time we talk about our American Criminal Justice Society. That group always wins a lot of regional and national awards. Year in, year out, our chemical engineering department always has top-tier awards. And so as you go across uh, the board and you look at our uh, academic programs where they compete competitively or whether they take placement tests and scores like our DPT class and our PA class, both had 97% placement. If you look at all of those factors of what we're doing across the board, to me just tells me more about how proud I am about the quality of product and the job that our faculty and staff are doing in preparing these young men and women for outstanding careers when they leave Trine University. This year, we also had a record number of employers participating in our career events, even in spite of the pandemic. There was uh, more than 230 employers that either through the virtual events we offered or even uh, like through the tailgating for talent where we had the career fair outdoors or that engaged with our students in some way this year. How does this demand reflect on the education we provide here at Trine? Well, a little surprising, but is in a pandemic year to grow uh, like that. But we broke so many records across the board growing in, in, a, in a pandemic year. But as, as you know, always a really good history of continuing to have outstanding job placement we've got the, i think seven year average now of 99 percent and of course this is, this is very important but i think it's another example of something we did very well this year as you know we we had our job fair a lot of it outside very well received very successful but i also think it's a a testament to the fact that our graduates are in demand and so many of our programs do such an outstanding job of bringing real world experience to the classroom or having our students involved in internships or co-ops in the workplace, which often turns out to be the hiring ground for many students before they graduate. And so there's a there's a there's a reason that employers keep coming back to our job fairs, keep hiring trying graduates uh, by word of mouth or otherwise. That experience, that level of training, that 
level of performance after they hiring our graduates is something that's sought after. And as we all talk about, and I think is validated through our data now in that seven-year, 99% job placement, our students are ready to go to work. And what we hope to do in the, in the phase of preparation, whether it's a engineer, whether it's uh, someone in teacher education, health science, pick a discipline, is we hope to eliminate, when someone hires a trying graduate, we hope to eliminate a six or eight month training period that these students are ready to go to work instantly, which makes it more productive and efficient for everyone uh, in the process. So extremely uh, proud of our career planning and placement office and the great work they're doing and our faculty that engage with manufacturing and industry to, to help us with all of that. But it's been a fun activity each year to continue to see that grow. And as you mentioned, equally as exciting and impressive to see it grow in a pandemic year. And if we go back and we look at our placement in May, which didn't look so good last year, and then we fast forward as things began to recover throughout the fall, I was really concerned that we would be heavily affected by the time we got to December, we were back in the 90th percentile. So as things started to progress, again, folks circled back to come back and hire a lot of those trying graduates that, uh, in April, May, June, when the job market wasn't looking so good. Looking at facilities on campus, we've got the new Fabiani Hall that I know the outside, I think it is almost done. I don't know where they're at with the interior. And we've got, looks like space now out there for the new Steel Dynamics Incorporated Center for Engineering and Computing. Uh, what's the schedule for each of these buildings and what will each bring to our campus? Well, as you know, uh, when we talk about record growth last year in a pandemic, uh, record incoming class, record retention, which increased from 76 to 84%, both of those factors put us in position. We were out of housing last fall when we opened in, in August and actually had some students displaced for a few days off campus until we could get things to settle on campus. And so sent a message to us instantly, we need to... Uh, break ground, get going on a new residence hall, have it ready by 1st of August, which is less than two two months away now for uh, this, this coming fall. And that hopefully that new residence hall would allow us to start transitioning some of the uh, older residential units on our campus. And so new Fabiani Hall hopefully will offer us the opportunity to replace old Fabiani Hall give some us some additional bed capacity. Although I would have to say at this point as we look to follow, maybe you're going to ask me about this in a minute, our numbers right now indicate once again we may not have a lot of excess capacity. But uh, the building is, is on schedule, uh, on course. If you were to go in there today, uh, drywalling, painting, flooring, a lot of those things. So now some really a lot of the finishing touches are starting to take place so that by August 1 it will be furnished, ready to go. We're already placing students in there. Very exciting about it. Very excited about the placement of it and how it blends into our uh, golf course apartments uh, community. But I think something that we'll have to continue to keep an eye on going forward as we continue to grow is a, is a residential part. Uh, the engineering building, which uh, was delayed for a year because of COVID, has been on the drawing board for three years. Very, very excited to break ground on that. If you go out today, you'll see their construction trailer and all the landscaping and trees going as we're ready to literally break ground on that uh, any day. Uh, that is to open by August of 22, so we'll be in about a 14-month construction phase 
uh, preparing that. And as we know, uh, new classrooms, laboratories, office suites, maker space, lounges, uh, a new food area that replaces Centennial Station in the lower level of Foreman just to provide more lounge space, uh, more ease of access uh, in, into that building. Uh, has an atrium walkway through it, much like uh, uh, our Rick and Vicki James University Center on campus of students to access and flow through. A lot of expansion for our biomedical engineering program, for our computer science programs and cybersecurity and health informatics, as well as virtual and augmented reality. We really have tried to push those programs in recent years, starting to see growth there, but it gives them a really opportunity to to expand. So really, really excited about finally getting uh, to the kickoff phase of this one, which we've talked about now, as I said, for uh, three years, but just needed as we continue to grow in engineering. It looks like we're we're moving forward close to again, perhaps uh, an, another class of nearly 300 engineers uh, uh, this fall, uh, just needed space to have, and then we'll backfill as folks shuffle around in Fayway, Colin, and Bach of filling those spaces with some of our other growing programs in engineering and computer science. Now, we also announced that we plan to return to normal operations this fall. What do normal operations look like? Uh, really just returning fully to pre-pandemic times, uh, fully, fully seated classroom capacities, uh, doing away with distancing at this point. And if, uh, if a classroom capacity is set at 40, there'll be 40 seats in there. Uh, whereas before, you know, with distancing, it basically cut our classrooms in half, but returning to full capacity, full capacity in the residence halls, which we were at last year, but really not, not much will, will change there. Uh, full uh, athletic schedules anticipated at this point, both of conference and non-conference uh, athletic schedules. Uh, normal routine back in uh, our cafeteria. Return to student activities, which were sorely limited uh, and inhibited last year because of uh, the pandemic. Uh, one I look forward to is uh, homecoming activities. You know, we lost our annual homecoming celebration, our touchstone dinner, the opportunity to have alums back, the opportunity to recognize uh, uh, our donors each year. Uh, this year, particularly, we're looking at, at uh, homecoming because we want to celebrate the success of our Invest in Excellence campaign, which we closed on very successfully on April 30th, by the way, and exceed our $125 million goal by uh, 10%, finished at $136, $137 million. So just the ability, I think, to uh, uh, to get back, have folks back engaged and be as normal as possible in pre-pandemic times. Noting that probably uh, COVID will still linger around in spite of the acceleration of vaccinations and the dropping numbers. We uh, don't know with uh, 100% certainty yet exactly what the NCAA may or may not require with regard to testing. We do believe, we've seen some, uh, some early suggestions that if a team is 85% vaccinated, they may not have to go through vaccination and quarantining. I know we're starting to monitor some of that as, as individuals submit uh, their data. So, and uh, if we get, we'll always be prepared to, to test in the health center. If somebody comes in and exhibits the system, we'll still be prepared if needed to isolate and quarantine. But I think certainly not at the levels we did before, but we're also not going to stick our head in the sand and think that 
COVID's 100% gone. We're, we'll be prepared to deal with it uh, should we have cases here and there. What uh, precautions, I know you mentioned that, you know, there, there will still be testing available. Um, what preca other precautions will remain in place? Yeah, I, I think we'll have testing uh, available as needed. I think people will naturally exercise a little more precautions than they uh, have still uh, respect anyone at this point that feels like they need to wear a mask for whatever reasons. To me, that's a personal individual choice that I respect if anyone, for whatever reason, feels like they need to mask and, and continue. So I think, well, there, I think there are some things that are sort of here to stay for all of us, uh, even if we were to, as a world, be able to totally evacuate COVID that we've learned, and that is the the, the sanitation protection uh, distancing aspect uh, we saw that it just basically eliminated flu season you know and so we know there's a a benefit beyond just what we practice in in covid with that so i think there'll be some some things we'll continue to promote on on a health side and some things we'll continue to promote on our website and our communication with our employees and and with our students as well what are you hearing from peer schools about are they most of them doing returning to normal or are there yeah I, I think so and it and it's sort of a mixed bag we uh, we all have heard read and seen i think out of the 37 public and 38 uh public private institutions across the state of indiana i think at this point there's probably five or six that said they're going to mandate uh the vaccination which means then that the vast majority are not. But at this point, I think everyone is preparing to return to as normal operations as possible with all of us having in the back of our minds a plan for what if. Uh, but I think the desire and certainly plan right now is to return to normal. Speaking about vaccination, uh, you know, one of the things you said earlier in the spring is that getting vaccinated is the single most important thing we can all do to fight the spread of COVID-19. And I know one thing we've done here at Trine is we're offering incentives to employees and to students to get vaccinated. Do we have uh, any idea how many people have claimed those vaccinations? What kind of percentage we currently have vaccinated? We do. Uh, we're collecting data and it's, it's ramping up uh, daily. We don't have as good a read on students yet, although we're starting to collect that data. I'm supposed to start getting the first data on students now on a weekly basis going forward to August, and I still stand by that statement going back to spring. I still believe it's the single most important thing that we as individuals can do is to be vaccinated, not just to protect ourselves, but protect everyone else uh, around us. And there's some growing evidence that, that vaccination there's some level of protection even against some of the variants that we're, that we're hearing about as well. So I still strongly, strongly encourage and recommend the vaccination for both uh, our employees uh, and our students. The last, re the, the last rough read I had, and it's, it's not recent, is we had gotten, I think, up into the 40 percentile range with employees, and that number is growing. That was really about the time we launched the uh, incentives. I know uh, HR will be reaching out over the summer to kind of send some additional reminders. Can we be helpful? We've even talked about, and, and, and may very well do this, both for students and faculty who come back in August, 
uh, maybe actually having a vaccination clinic or two as we start the year for those who haven't gotten it but may still yet want to get it because now the vaccine is more available and we can more easily do that. So we're going to continue to monitor uh, employees, monitor students. Uh, still at this point, no plan to mandate it because it's still, I think, to some degree, that's an individual and personal decision. I know there are a lot of health reasons why folks don't want to get the vaccination. There are religious reasons why they don't want to get uh, the vaccination. Unfortunately, vaccinations have gotten politicized a little bit, and I don't care to get into that. But I do, I do think there are a lot of things from a health perspective that are individual and personal decision, although I will personally continue to advocate my position of encouraging folks to, to be vaccinated against COVID. Do we have a, a target or a goal as a university as to what percentage of our community we would like well, to Well, you know, if you, if you look, 40-some percent is probably, I haven't looked at it recently, but it's probably where the state is at, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know on the national level. Uh, this is ambitious, but, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could get to 60% of our employees vaccinated? I think that I think that goal is probably a little tougher with uh, students, just because there's this perception with youth that they're less susceptible, asymptomatic, and all. And we saw a lot of that this year. You know, we had uh, however many cases of COVID we had over the course of the fall and spring semester, uh, semester and the majority were a, asymptomatic. And so I guess that sort of strengthens their position to some degree, but we're still going to encourage it. I think there is definitely uh, appeal for our student athletes to be vaccinated because of the potential impact it could have on our uh, teams. Uh, you know, we had, unfortunately had one of our spring teams that was taken out because of COVID testing in the, in the conference uh, championship rounds. Uh, and so there, there is an advantage, and we'll know more about that again as the NCAA protocol comes out, but we'll continue to, uh, to, to encourage that. You mentioned uh, enrollment a little earlier with the, you know, the new Fabiani Hall. How are our enrollment numbers looking for this fall? Well, outstanding. We expect another record class of uh, over 700 uh, students this fall, uh, considerably probably at this point more over 700 than we have uh, uh, been before. We believe, I'll put a number out there, roughly maybe 725-ish, given where we're at right now. We're in the six. 80s right now and in a really good pace about five percent ahead of the record class we had this past fall uh, continues to contribute to our growing residential number which you and i have have talked about i think we've already assigned over 1500 students to residential housing at this point we've got more to place more to come so we're easily going to get up in the 1600 plus uh, range on residential capacity we've seen a huge uh, spike for the last two years returning in our international population we actually see a spike in in uh, undergraduate international this year after a a really bad two-year period because of covid and other things but our international graduate population may very well hit 800 students this fall opened a new uh center in phoenix this summer and was really pleased we started out with 47 students there right out of the gate so very excited about that we see that continue to grow as well as our detroit center looking at a new center going forward in uh, virginia as we work on the 
licensure phase with them to open in the Fairfax or D.C. area with another international center. So, again, another growth opportunity. Seeing really good numbers across the board in uh, health sciences as they grow. Big year uh, on the enrollment front right now for uh, Kettner School of Business, which seems to be experiencing the largest spike of all five of our undergraduate schools on on campus. So I was uh, uh, joking the other day with their uh, dean of business, Kat Benson, about what's going on in business. They're doing an outstanding job, though, in our School of Business this year. So uh, a, a really exciting time for us again to be – one, to have enjoyed the success we enjoyed in, uh, in the year of COVID and now to look like we're, we're tracking ahead of a, yet another record year. And still what is a challenging time overall for higher education. I read an article this morning in the Chronicle, for example. I think overall uh, in, the, in the spring, college enrollments were down 3.5% year-over-year spring, 600,000 students. And so for us to continue to – do the things that we're doing is just a great tribute to everyone on our campus that's doing their part to make trying successful. And this 725 you said is that incoming freshmen and transfer? Correct. Or? Yeah, that's, okay. that's the new incoming students, which are freshmen and transfers. Yes. Okay. What are some other things you're looking forward to this fall? Well, thank you. I think you and others know if I'm if I'm in town in the office, I like to come down and eat in the cafeteria with our students. And you know, we we got robbed of those uh, opportunities last year just to be able to as we're doing today walk through uh, our beautiful university center again and, and engage and, and see people you know we're uh, we're we're in a business which is about engagement and interaction with uh, folks at all levels but particularly with our youth and with our students and I think just that ability to do that to participate in student activities to attend athletic events again as we uh, normally would to uh, we talked about homecoming a little bit but to be able to have that and and for myself and uh, our uh, advancement office staff the ability to get back out and and be in front of our alumni and talking about all the great things going on here with with Tryon University and sharing that with our alumni and our friends and our and our donors because as we com- just talked about uh, completing and celebrating uh, closure of last campaign at homecoming. Obviously, no secret to anyone in the planning stage is kicking off what the next campaign will look like and that next growth phase and how we do that. So just uh, just excited like uh, everybody at this point to uh, be mask-free, to be doing the things that we're doing, still monitoring everything, still having uh, – Safety and security of our students at the at the forefront, providing them a quality educational experience here that uh, that we hope and believe is is uh, second to none, and getting back just to as normal practice as we possibly can for our uh, for our students. Now, I know one other return to normal that we just announced a few days ago is that the Firth Center is going to be getting back into concerts and other activities and. I heard uh, somebody told me that Mrs. Brooks may be really excited about Tanya Tucker. That's true. I don't know. I don't know where you heard that, but yeah, she's a, a big fan of Tanya Tucker, who, uh, as late in uh, her career as she is, won a big Grammy last year for her most recent album. So we were very, very fortunate we were able to uh, attract her. But I've had a lot of uh, ask from a lot of community folks and uh, folks overall about looking forward to getting back to the first center. I mean, I think our 
community at large has missed that uh, and, and look forward to it. We've got a lot of uh, great programs, uh, uh, great concerts and events that are rescheduled. I think now we open up in August with Gordon Lightfoot, who I think now has probably been rescheduled two or three times uh, with yeah. pandemic, and I think he had an accident or a fall before that. So we open with him, then I think we have Tanya Tucker, then we get into a, just a, a great array of programs throughout the year and looking forward to returning to that. I think uh, I think everyone's ready to get back to, to business as normal. Well, once again, thank you, Dr. Brooks, for joining me today. And to listeners, check back for more insights from Dr. Brooks on our next Trineline podcast. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.